Thanks, Sophie. Which way, which side are you going? Whichever side. Good morning. It's great to be here, Richmond family, together and to be starting this new series. Uh, over the last few weeks, uh, in January, in the lead up to this, it's been great to have some new, new and different people preaching. We love hearing uh, different voices in our community, so it's been great to have Rena and Brad and Phil and get different perspectives. And we've been looking at um, how Jesus is speaking to us as a community. Is that a good way of saying it? That's a good, great way of saying it. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all this morning. Uh, please stick around for a coffee after. Um, today, we're starting a new teaching series, as Sophie and Melinda both said. And this week, and next two, I think. Next one. Next, one. next one. Yeah, that two. makes more sense. Uh, we're going to be preaching together. It's a, it's a challenge. No, it is a we've challenge. We've done this before. Um, we did, I think it was about this time last year, and we really enjoyed it. And there's something about um, collaborating and working together and listening to different voices that we found really helpful. And so we thought, let's try this again. Um, we hope that you enjoyed it. We got some good feedback. I think it was Naomi who said it sounded like a podcast. Um, don't know if that's exactly what we're going for, but but there's something about um, listening to different voices, trying different ways of communicating, and that's not just what happens up the front here on a Sunday. No, we've been practicing as a team, practicing collaboration behind the scenes and in our preaching uh, preparation and in our ministry too we practice sharing leadership and responsibility and ideas and I think we're all richer for it um, at the heart of this practice is our practice of prayer together we've mentioned it a number of times for up here our pastoral team gathers every week uh, to listen well to each other and to the voice of God and this intentional um, level of collaboration leads us to developing shared language and we know that some of you tease us about that, tease me Bingo. about that, um, but also a shared voice. Um, and so often when you hear one of us preach or lead uh, from up here, you're hearing our team's shared voice uh, as we've prepared together. And this morning we're practicing having a shared voice live. On the spot, live, yeah. yeah. I also think it reflects something much deeper and more profound, which is what we understand what the Bible is and what following Jesus is, that it's never something we do on our own. It's always something that we do in community, we do in conversation, first in conversation with God, but then in conversation with one another. The Bible was never meant to be private and individual. It's actually only really recently that we've kind of made the Bible quite private and individual with the invention of the printing press and we can all take our own Bible home and kind of read it and study it very individually. But actually the Bible is a community document. It was given to the people of God to be read and shared and talked about and questioned and wrestled with and listened to as a community so that we together might hear God's voice. And this morning we're going to retell the great story of the Bible all together. Uh, it's a story that we're invited to enter into and live out of. And it's a story that leads to life. It's not just an ancient history or a spiritual guidebook nor is it a fairy tale, a Shakespearean play, a list of Aesop's fables, or even a well-written novel filled with character development and a twisted plot. This is a story bigger than you could imagine. It's a story filled with heroes and villains. It's a story of amazing adventure and difficult quests. It's a story filled with sorrow and darkness and despair, but also bright with hope and life and light. And the story of God is a good story. A story of hope and promise, welcome and restoration. It's the story of God and our world. It's the story of God and his people. It's the story of Jesus and his new people. It's the story of a kingdom imagined and breaking in. This story is all about God's plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth in King Jesus. 
And it's a story that informs us and reframes us. It's not just black ink on white paper, but something living and active. There's something that happens as we spend time in this story. The story comes to life as it echoes in our minds. It changes how we live and it shifts our hopes and our values and our perspectives. This story changes us. We are changed by Jesus. Because this story is all about King Jesus. This word is his word. The word is about him. The word is him. And so this is a story that we want to keep retelling, reimagining, and restoring so that it might be heard and received and lived by new generations. And that, that, those words, those re-words, we've talked about a lot. And I love that idea of restoring. It's a kind of a strange phrase when you th- first think about it. But it's the same story. It's the story of God. It's the story that God has been imagining and telling since the beginning of time. And it's the same story that people have been living out of for generations. But we need to keep retelling it and finding new ways of retelling it or restoring it. That makes sense for us. And so there are heaps of different ways of telling this story. Across time, across culture, people have told it in slightly different ways as we try to make sense of it for our time and our place. So the way that we're kind of going to frame it today and the way that I found probably the most helpful of telling the big story of God, the whole story, is kind of to think of it like a drama. It's kind of the way that we tell stories in our culture, which is where we set the scene and then we introduce what the question or the conflict is and then we see how that plays out and there's a lot of action and it builds towards a climax or a turning point that then resolves towards the end. Uh, And that kind of basic framework, there's actually a great book called The Drama of Scripture, Finding Our Place in the Biblical Narrative, and I'm pretty sure it's in our little library. It should be there. We have a little library, if you don't know, of just books that um, our pastoral team and others have suggested uh, as really good reads. There's not heaps of books. There's multiple copies of the books because we think they're really great. We don't just put anything. They're not like, you know... The typical church library with your second hand, nobody wants this book, books, um, but really good <laughs> books. And so that book is probably the basic framework that we wanted to use today and over the next few weeks. But we've also been really inspired um, by a series of paintings. So as those of you who call Richmond home would know, over the last couple of years, we've been on a journey uh, of trying to listen well to our Indigenous brothers and sisters and learn from them. Uh, and this is part of that. So there's a Walpuri artist by the name of Clarice Paulson Nampi Jimpa, uh, and she drew a series of paintings that tell the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of God. Um, and those paintings, the originals are in the Baptist Church in Yunnamu, up in the Territory. Um, but there's nine of them, and she tells a story. And it's, it's seeing that made me go, yeah, it's the same story. It's the same story that we tell as a drama that we tell through the six acts. But it brings a different cultural perspective to it. And so over the next few weeks, we want to unpack a little bit some of those um, the nuances, I guess, and the highlights that she has in that. And this morning in particular, it's that first one um, that has really captured our attention because most of us, when we start the story as good Westerners, we start with ourselves, of course. Um, and so we start with God creating us, and that's how we tell the story of God. But the Bible starts with a God who was before us, And she starts her paintings with this painting of a God who imagines, a God who dreams, a God who has in mind the whole story even before it begins. And the really, the big focus, and this is the title of that painting, is God imagines a people. God imagined us as a community before he even began creating us. And so that's kind of what we want to do, I guess, today as a way of introducing this series is how do we imagine the whole story before we then start unpacking it over the coming weeks. And it's not just other cultures that we can learn from or other ways of telling the story. 
even within our own culture, even with our, within our own church culture, there are different ways, different lenses that we can use to, to retell the story. We've walked through the big story of God together before. A few years ago, we spent a year unpacking the different themes of the story. Uh, Melinda wanted to give you a test. See if you remember. No, I'm joking. That's not true. It's <laughs> that year we did the ashes, though. That's, we that's did what's do the most ashes. memorable to me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and often here, we'll look at the story of God through different lenses, different themes. This helps us to capture new ideas, some different questions, and a helpful emphasis as we shape and reshape our community in response to the Spirit of God. And in this series and across this year, we want to highlight the theme of being kingdom people. We'll be building on our theme of kingdom from two years ago, and you would have picked up that we use language like King Jesus a lot at Richmond and talk about kingdom in our stories and the way we preach and even the way we frame different things that happen around uh, the church and our, our family life together. And that's because we are kingdom people. And this is one of the ways followers of Jesus can describe ourselves. And here at Richmond, we're often asking ourselves as church leaders, as the community, as the family, we're asking how can Jesus, King Jesus people live out his kingdom now in this time and in this place? And not just as individuals, but together as family participating in Jesus' kingdom. So this year, we'll be asking, what does it mean to live now as kingdom people and to play our part in the story King Jesus is writing today? Cool. So what we're going to try and do this morning is really walk through the big story with that, the big picture lens, um, but also looking at this theme of kingdom people. You might have noticed we didn't have a Bible reading this morning. Sophie asked me if we had a Bible reading, and I said the whole Bible. And uh, we thought that might take a little bit too long to read the whole thing this morning, so you can go and do that at home. But we want to try and tell the whole story through this lens of kingdom people. And as I said, one of the really helpful ways of telling the story is to think of it like a drama. Uh, or a story that builds. And so Act 1, the beginning of the drama, is really where we set the scene. We are introduced to a God who creates this people for himself. So the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis introduce us to the kind of God that God is, that he is good, uh, and that he has a plan and a purpose, that he speaks his word and speaks the story into being. That in the beginning, God created a world beautifully designed for his good purposes. And so our story begins with God creating humanity to be in right relationship with himself and also with one another. This idea of us being a people, a community in right relationship with God and one another is there at the beginning. It's part of God's plan. And right at the beginning we read at the end of Genesis chapter 1 that God looks at all that he has made and he says it is very good. Yeah. And Act 2 brings us to the problem. Our story takes a dark turn. Humanity turns its back on the creator and is broken by evil. A dark stain grows over human history. And the song lines of creation's song are distorted by a grim undertone. The people God began are torn in their relationship with God, with one another, with the world, and within themselves. Chaos and violence claim their victims. Injustice and oppression take their place in God's good world. And a deep unsettling falls across all that God has made. Every part of God's beautiful design is corrupted. There are lots of different places in the Bible story that we could point to. 
that reveal this to us through story, uh, through teaching. But Romans 3.23 captures some of this for us. As Paul writes, For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. Humanity is damaged by evil. Every part of who we are now disfigured. The image of God still there, but reflected like a cracked mirror. Life lived now in the ashes of what could have been. Enslaved to what we once mastered, destined to selfishly pursue more of ourselves. We see it now, don't we? And we see it in ourselves. It doesn't take too long to see that there's a glitch in the programming that there's a fold in the space-time fabric, that winter is coming, that the virus is spreading, darkness creeping over the land. Something has corrupted the files. A sin sickness has spread, and no one is immune. And it's corrupted our ability to relate to God, it has ruptured our relationships with one another, and it has distorted our inner selves. But the story continues. Yeah, so we've been introduced to the way things were designed to be, the God who has a plan and a purpose and created all things good. And then we know the reality of the brokenness that has entered into this world. And Act 3 is really where the main action of the drama takes place, like any good story, like any good movie. This is where we see how this works out. And this is, in terms of the biblical story, the whole Old Testament, the most complicated and difficult part of the Bible for many of us. Because really what's happening in Act 3 in the Old Testament is two things. Firstly, we see the outworking of the brokenness. We see people living out the mess and the brokenness and the darkness. There's a lot of stories in the Old Testament uh, that are dark, that are difficult, that we have to wrestle with because we are seeing broken, fallen people living in a broken, fallen world. But God passionately persists. God hasn't given up on his plan and his purpose on the good story that he has been always seeking to tell. And so while the Old Testament has this thread of messy, complicated, dark, difficult stories, it also has this other beautiful thread of a God who initiates a people, a God who is seeking to bring about what he has always been seeking to bring about, which is a restored community of people for himself. Now, the way that works in the Old Testament is a bit of a surprise. God's story continues with an unexpected pathway when he chooses one man, one family, one nation, and says, through them, I'm going to bring my blessing to the whole world. And so the Old Testament narrows into this story of Abraham's family, of the nation of Israel. And throughout the complicated and messy ups and downs of their history, generation after generation, as they go into the land, as they're rescued out of slavery and go into the land that God has given them, as we see uh, the rise of priests and prophets and kings and poets and leaders and judges and stories all woven together, God keeps working to call humanity to his purpose and to his promise. If I had to summarize the whole of the Old Testament in one line, it's tricky to do, but there is this phrase that reoccurs over and over through the Old Testament, right at the beginning in Genesis when God calls Abraham and his people, through the story of the Exodus where God rescues them and brings them out of slavery and redeems them, when God leads them into their land to live as his people through the prophets that call them again and again back to God, through the poets and the Psalms and the wisdom, it's this. God says, 
I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. God's plan hasn't changed. He is seeking to bring about a people for himself. And the other thing I'd say about the Old Testament is that it kind of had this big arrow on it pointing forwards because, of course, through the messiness and the complicated, we're like, how is this ever going to happen? How can this possibly come to pass when we're dealing with the brokenness and the promise of a God who is still seeking a people? And that leads us to... Act 4, which is the great climax and turning point of our story. A small remnant of God's people still expectantly hoping. But the story kind of stops. Nothing much is happening. What's happened to God's people? And then hope dawns. It starts small, almost unnoticed. God was on the move. The Christmas story tells us that in a nowhere town, in a nowhere region, in a tiny part of the Roman Empire, a baby is born. And something was different. The Holy Spirit begins to speak and to act. There were angels and miracles and supernatural encounters. Another world is starting to break in. We meet Jesus. We hear more about his life, his story, who he is and what he is like. And we see that Jesus enacts a revolution of love. Promises that were made by God in the past are fulfilled in him. Hopes that the people have clung to are realized in him. The divine embodied enters our story. And the king comes as the true people living out what humanity was always meant to be, what no king or prophet or priest or people could be, he is. And Jesus speaks and walks a new way of being. It's the kingdom on earth. And he begins to undo things that aren't right, to push back the darkness and free people from evil oppression, to bring peace in the chaos and light in the darkness. And then evil throws all it has at him, and he is cruelly crucified, and he dies. But evil has exhausted itself. It's thrown all it had at Jesus, and they thought they had him, but, but then there was an unexpected victory. Resurrected, Jesus ushers in a new day, a new life, a new era. The king lives, death is defeated. This is Jesus. King of all things, king over sin and death and evil and chaos, king over nations and people, rulers and leaders. The crucified king redeems all of humanity. Colossians, one of my favorite passages, a poem in Colossians 1, captures some of who Jesus is. For Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, and through him God reconciled all things to himself. Relationships restored. God and humanity reconnected in Jesus. Heaven and earth coming together in Jesus. This story is not the story of God far off and unknowable. In Jesus, God came close. In Jesus, humanity can know God. We can see God. We can hear God. We can be loved by God. And so in King Jesus, we find true humanity. We find the pathway to our own humanity. We find a king who offers life to us, but also calls for our allegiance. This is the story of a God who calls all people back to himself. And that's such 
an amazing turning point in this story, isn't it? There's so much in Act 4 that we could sit in, and I'm really looking forward to us unpacking that as we focus on the coming of the King, King Jesus, to bring about God's kingdom people. And I really liked how you said that, not just that Jesus is the true person, but that Jesus is the true people, which is a really awkward phrase, isn't it? Um, But if God's plan is to imagine a people, Jesus actually represents is the true people. And so the language that the New Testament writers can use is that we are in Jesus, we are in Christ, and it's in him we become a part of this true people. Um, And so Act 5, I guess, is where things begin to resolve a new kingdom people begins to be formed in King Jesus. If the king has come, we are now invited to participate in him in this restored community. That that people that God has been imagining since the beginning is now seen visibly in the world. We call it the church. The church is not a building or a place. It is the kingdom people, the community in Jesus who actually live out this calling, that this promise that God has had since the very beginning. This starts uh, in the book of Acts with the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost because, of course, we can't make ourselves the true people. Jesus is, but Jesus gives us his Spirit, not just individually, but as a community, so that empowered by that Spirit, we as a community live out and are sent out to proclaim the good news of King Jesus to all the world. And so Act 5 is actually a really long act in terms of telling the story. It's most of the New Testament, yes, a bit like Act 3 was most of the Old Testament, because it's this community of people, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then to Samaria and the ends of the earth, trying to figure out what does that look like? How do we do this together, live as King Jesus' kingdom people? But in terms of how we tell the story and as a story that we live out of, this is also where we live in the story because Act 5 has continued on throughout the history of the church over the last 2,000-ish years and this is where we find ourselves in the story. We participate in King Jesus in this kingdom people that God has imagined, a people of hope and love and justice and generosity and we also invite others to join us in this reimagining and restoring of the world that King Jesus is making new. And so it's It's a really exciting part of the story, I think, where the invitation comes in Act 5. Um, Again, trying to find a way to summarise it, Paul says this, For God gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of King Jesus. We get to live out this story and invite other people into it and see the transformation of kingdom coming happening now in the middle of history, in the middle of our time and our place. That's where we find ourselves in the story. I get excited hearing about where we're invited to be part of the story and get active. Uh, You know, I'm all about imagination and action. Uh, I really want to keep going on that (laughs) act. But then we come to Act 6. And Act 6, yeah, is a new beginning. Because the story is not yet finished. God has always imagined the renewal and restoration of all he created. Think to the image that we started with. The kingdom come for all people. And so the story ends by starting again, in a way. It tells of a hope-filled horizon, a new day dawning, a day when everything will be made right once and for all. What we saw start in Jesus, we see completed then. In Jesus, we saw the first resurrection. And our story tells us that what God did in Jesus then, he is going to do on a cosmic scale in a future, bringing together heaven and earth. 
from the very beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been working out their beautiful design to restore all things to themselves, creating this future where heaven and earth are joined together, where humanity lives with them and they with us. This story invites us to see Jesus on the horizon, the true king coming to meet us, bringing heaven to earth, bringing himself as king and priest and judge to rule with justice and mercy, a day of reckoning for evil and injustice and a day of hopeful freedom for the oppressed and the enslaved. Revelation is filled with confronting but amazing imagery about what that day will be like. These famous words from Revelation 21 summarize for us some of our hopefulness for the day that we see. For he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or crying or sorrow or pain. King Jesus himself says, look, I am making everything new. This story finishes with a new beginning. And so we wait, as people who are living now as kingdom people, we wait and long for and work towards that day when in King Jesus, God will renew all the things. And we see whispers of it now, don't we? We see glimpses of it now, like spring in the winter. His kingdom is coming, light and life and hope breaking through the gloom. And so we, as God's kingdom people, live it out now. We live knowing the king and his kingdom. We live knowing the greatest story told and the author, the great and true King Jesus. We are his kingdom people. Amen. I think for me that's been one of the most exciting things about kind of learning uh, to think about the whole Bible as this one story, that we live in the story of, of what has been and where it's always been going, but we don't live in a story that is complete. We actually live out of a story that is going somewhere, and it's a, a good somewhere, uh, and we want to lift our eyes and be excited and inspired and called towards what God is seeking to bring about even now and what we are waiting for. Um, and so it's great to kind of get caught up in that story. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is sit in each of those acts of the story and try and unpack them in a bit more detail through this lens of being God's kingdom people and maybe looking at some of those paintings as well um, to help us unpack more of it. But for today, in a sense, we've come to the end of telling the story. There's the six acts. That's the big story of God. But if what we are saying is true, that this isn't just a story that is written on, as black words on a white page, but a story that we live out of, a story that reshapes and transforms us and our world, we have to ask the question, so what? What difference does it make? How do we do that? What does it look like to live in and out of this great, good story? And so we want to finish with, I guess, a couple of ideas of how we might do that. Yeah. So one of the things that we think could be helpful is having a way of understanding in our minds, in our imagination, the big picture, having a way to summarize for ourselves the story so that we can retell it to ourselves, to each other, and to others. Uh, and so a couple of years ago, uh, I was inspired by a hashtag to rewrite the story in six acts of eight words each. So this is my attempt, with some help from our Richmond language and shared voice, to tell the story in six acts of eight words each. Why eight words? What's that? Why eight words? So the hashtag eight words uh, was a competition run on social media a couple of years ago. You might remember it. People were invited to uh, tell a story that was compelling, uh, that drew you in, and the reward for them was getting on a billboard uh, around the country. 
Uh, and so one of our friends actually told a story and he's, he went up on a billboard in Brisbane for a few weeks. And, and it's yeah. kind of amazing how eight words can capture yeah. a whole story. So I've got a slide because I want you to visualize this too. So this is, this is our attempt. Let me read it out. God creates a world beautifully designed for good. Humanity is broken by evil. Chaos violently reigns. God initiates relationships. A messy, incomplete kingdom unfolds. Hope dawns. King Jesus enacts revolution, upside-down victory. Restored community, sent out to heal everyone invited. Future hope promised. Everything set right. Shalom completed. I find that a really helpful way of holding in my mind and imagination the big story of God. And for me, it captures some of the heart of what this story tells. What else is we can really reflect on? So I think that, that idea, and um, whether it's the eight words or just the six acts or the framework, but having in our minds a way of telling the story, can I be really pedantic and point out there's nine words in one of those because you need a hyphen? Um, but <laughs> That's unexpected. See if you can find You're picking it. on my grammar? <laughs> Unusual. <laughs> but you know, I th this was amazing when uh, Elliot wrote this a couple of years ago, this idea of, okay, we've got the framework of the six acts. What if we try and tell each one of those in a way that captures uh, our, our language and that captures our values and that captures our perspective on it? Um, and so I think it's something that you could consider like, learning or writing your own version of or, you know, there's, there's probably yeah, things you could do yeah. with that to kind of how are we... Telling ourselves, I think is what Elliot said first, telling ourselves a story, and then we can tell it to other people, like probably not just by going up to a random stranger and <laughs> giving them 48 words, but it's something that we own, that, that we live, you know, lives in us, the telling yeah. of that story. Does that make sense? You yeah, and for me as well, when I'm uh, sharing, particularly with people outside of the church community, it's really helpful for me to have an imagination, something to hold in my mind of what parts of the story I've already shared with someone. Uh, where, where else, uh, if they're dealing with something in life, what part of the story really speaks to that as well? Cool. So there's knowing the story and then being able to tell the story. And then I think the next step, the other way to think about this is how do we participate in the story? How do we live out of it, play our part, uh, you know, act within it? There's, I guess, many ways you could talk about that. But living in the story and inviting others into it, participating in it. Um, and I think this, this is a daily reality that we're wrestling with and that we're trying to live out as a community here at Richmond, that we, we seek to do individually as a pastoral team and in our workplaces, wherever we are saying this is the story of the world, of the universe, of the God who has created all that is. This is the true story. How does that shape how I live? Mm. I think it shapes how I see myself. If this is the true story, that creation is beautifully designed for good, then I care about God's good creation and I seek to look after it and not trash it, for example. Uh, if this is the good story that humanity is broken by evil, then people who are struggling with health, with suffering, with sickness, uh, with confusion, with darkness, with violence and evil in their own lives, I don't write them off, but I say this is the effects of the story that they find themselves in. How do we help point towards a different way? Mm. It changes the way I see the world around me. It changes the way I see people. It changes the way that I relate to those people. 
Um, if, if we're living in Act 5 as the restored community of God's kingdom people and we're sent out, that's our mission, that's our task. How does that shape how I spend my time? How does that shape how I spend my resources, what I do with what I have been given if the goal is to live out this kingdom life and invite others into it? Because the truth is that there are alternate stories. This is not the only story that is being told by people in our world today. Maybe not told quite so succinctly in 48 words, but our society, our culture, the media, different cultures around the world, lots of different people are telling different stories and living out of those stories that they tell. Stories like the world is a chaotic, messy place and there's just no hope it's going nowhere. There are plenty of people who are living out of that story. Or stories like people are good and we're just getting better. And there are people who are living out of that story. And for me, being a follower of Jesus, being a part of God's kingdom's people, means saying this is the true story. Not just the story I'm going to tell, but the story I'm going to choose to live out of. That is the true story that I'm going to live in, despite the other stories being told. And even despite what I would say is like appearances to the contrary. Mm. Uh, sometimes it doesn't look like this is the true story. Even though this is the story I believe, sometimes I look at the world around me and go, it doesn't really look like that. It doesn't look like Jesus' kingdom is breaking in. Mm. It doesn't necessarily look like that King Jesus is reigning and ruling. But faith, living out of this story, is saying that is the true story and I will live as if it is true even when it doesn't look like it. That's what I tell myself anyway, that I will choose to live out of this story even when it doesn't look like it. So it's um, choosing to believe this story, choosing to live out of this story, and then I think participating in this story, recognising that this story is big enough to invite us all to find our place within it and to find our place here and now. People have been living out of this story for thousands of years. What does it look like to live out of this story in your time, in your place, in your community, in your family, in your neighbourhood, in our neighbourhood, in our city, in our country? It might look different for some of us, but we share in it together. This is our common story, and we need to figure out what it looks like to play our part and participate and live out of it. I guess for me that's really that Act 5, Act 6 yeah. kind of crossover, isn't it, of saying I live in Act 5, and I am I'm trying to you know, figure out what it looks like to be a part of a community that lives as God's kingdom people and shows King Jesus to the world. But I'm also anticipating and waiting for Act 6. And that's not a passive thing. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm actually working towards it. Um, N.T. Wright has this, this great example that I love where he talks about this, of living between Act 5 and Act 6 as kind of like a musical... Um, uh, orchestra so we're all playing our instruments in the orchestra and what we actually get to do is what they call improvisation <laughs> there's not necessarily a script the bible doesn't work as a set of rules that says you must do this 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 and this tick and then you're done it's actually a story that invites us to improvise to say we know the themes we know the purpose we know the plan we know where the story is going we know the ending we know the finale how do we live in a way that moves us from where we are towards where we are going yeah, and I'm so thankful that we don't have to ask these questions just of ourselves. I think it's easy to hear the story of God, and we've emphasized this over the last few weeks in the Jesus and You series, for us to sit here and go, all of this could be just for me, and I've got to imagine what it means for me to live out life as a kingdom person. But actually, the story invites us to live out this imagination, live towards that hopeful horizon as kingdom people in community together, sharing life together, sharing struggles together, but also imagining together what it looks like for us 
to be part of pushing back the darkness and setting people free and setting ourselves free from all that entangles and enslaves. So what does it mean for us to live together, to live out this story together? What are the practices and rhythms that we can live out as Jesus' kingdom people? What are the things that we can put into our life together as a church community that help us remember the story, that encourage each other when we're feeling like things are slow or hard or it's hard to see where God is at work and where it's all going? Uh, What are the different rhythms and practices that we can live out together that help us be more active? Because if this story is true, it changes everything. And if it's true that we are meant to live out as kingdom people some of what Jesus has exampled for us, then life together in community should look quite different, very different for us than it does for the world around us. Because the story we read about, the story we've glimpsed through today, is countercultural to much of what the world around us tells us. So how do we practice living differently? What does it look like for us to encourage and spur on one another to live uh, generously and hopefully. Uh, Two examples, I think, of ways that we can live differently. What does it mean for us to think differently about how we uh, use our time and energy and our resources together? What does it uh, mean for us to understand this story of a God who gives himself away so generously towards us for us to live out that same kind of sacrificial generosity towards one another and towards the world around us? But also, what does it look like for us in a world that is hard, when there is lots of reasons to give up, lots of reasons to live um, quietly, selfishly, protectively? What does it look like for us to live hopefully, to lift our eyes to the king coming on the horizon and that new day dawning? These are important questions for us as a community. I'm sure there's plenty more questions. There's more practices and rhythms we could talk about. Yeah, and those are two good words I think we use a lot because when we're trying to live out of this story, that idea of practices that we undertake day by day in our gospel groups, in our families, you know, in the people that we connect with as a Richmond family, how are we practicing this um, day by day? But we also talk about practices as something we do here when, when yeah. we gather. Uh, so it's kind of a both end. And when we gather, we have the opportunity to, to respond with some simple practices, I think, that remind us and they help ground us and that help send us out well. Um, and so we talk a lot about practices and we're trying to get better at um, you know, how we respond as a community when we're gathered together in our practices. And there's one particular practice that we've uh, talked about as a pastoral team. We'd love to uh, maybe get better at. It's not the right word, is it? But enrich, enrich make yeah. richer this year. Um, is a practice that the church has been participating in since Jesus himself. It's the practice of communion or the Lord's Supper. Um, and this is a really simple practice, but it is one that is so rich with meaning Because in a sense, the practice of communion is another retelling of the story, of the story of God from beginning to end. As we share in this meal, we are actually practicing the story. So if we think about it in our six acts, in this simple act of communion, we take some bread and we take some wine or some juice, which are part of God's good creation. They're actually symbols that are from the good creation God has made and they ground us. We're doing something physical tangible connecting us to creation in this meal we are recognizing that we have rebelled and gone away from god that's not just something that happened back then act two of the story but actually we are a part of that that we have rejected god and gone our own way and we are owning our part in the brokenness of this world and then in this meal we're looking back 
to the story of the Old Testament of God initiating relationship and redemption of his people. The meal that Jesus was at when he instituted this practice was the Passover meal, a meal that itself was a practice remembering, looking back and celebrating the story of God redeeming and rescuing his people. And so when we practice it, we're connecting ourselves to that whole story. Of course, in this practice, this meal of communion, we are focusing on King Jesus and his gift of himself in our place to restore us. Jesus said that this bread represents his body, which is broken for us on the cross, and the cup represents his blood, which is spilled for us. And so we, by eating and drinking it, he says, are participating in his death and in his resurrection. It's a meal that was given not to individuals, but to us as a community. Jesus says, when you come together, when you eat and drink as a community, remember me in this way because we are identifying as the kingdom people of God by together taking this bread and this cup and participating in what Jesus has done. And of course, this meal, this practice, has a future element to it. It looks forward. It is an act of great anticipation On the night that Jesus was betrayed and he took this bread and he took this cup, he actually spoke to his disciples about how he would not share this again with them until he came again in the new kingdom. And there was this great banquet that he'd been telling stories and parables about where we would eat with him face to face in the presence of God without any brokenness, without any separation. And so when we celebrate this meal, when we practice this um, communion together, we are actually anticipating the future restoration of all things. And we are, Paul says, proclaiming what Jesus has done until he comes. So this is a practice that captures the whole story and we get to physically participate in it. And so I think for me, I would say it serves as a great reminder that that's what we're doing with our whole lives choosing to enter into and participate and live out of this whole story.